Um, I'm going to do some storytelling today, and um, this is uh, my favorite way to preach. I don't get to do it very often, but I'm going to take a, a piece of scripture, a story from the Bible, and just pick it apart today, and um, I'm excited about that. So less note-taking than usual and more just uh, opening your heart, and I'm um, excited about that. But before we'll, we do that, um, gosh, many of you come um, in here with a lot of stuff on your heart and on your mind, and maybe the most valuable thing you get is this quiet moment before I preach this morning. So we want to make sure we don't neglect that. Um, just give you a chance this morning to get your heart right. Um, man, I get emotional every time I look over here and see Michelle sitting down there and um, praying my guts out for her over the last couple weeks. And um, So I'm just going to thank God for that and ask God to just kind of give us some perspective this morning. So let's do that together, quiet moment, and then uh, we'll jump right in. God, we just stop right now in the middle of all the things that are going on in our heart, in our lives, in our minds. All the good things, all the awful things, all of it we just kind of roll in a ball today and hold loosely. Because we know that none of it means anything if you don't give us another breath. And you hold the next breath in your hand. So we pause and we choose to listen to that still small voice in our lives. God, there are a lot of people in this room today who are going to be sitting in this service, if we're not careful, and feeling so guilty that they're going to miss everything that's said. We know that guilt doesn't come from you. And so we get rid of it out of this space right now. Whatever we did this week that was far from you, would you... Remind us of your pursuit of us in the midst of everything. God, we want to do better. We want to move forward. Would you allow us to let go of the past so we can move towards the future? God, those who are dealing with physical ailments or emotional stress, God, would you give us a deep breath today, just an opportunity to see through that stuff into what's most important in your son's name. Amen. Well, we are in the third week of a three-week series, so that would make it the last week, um, of uh, this series called Win, um, and I'm excited to, to, uh, to kind of finish this out today because it really is the, the precursor to what I'm going to talk about pretty much for the rest of the year, um, and that is prayer, talking to God, doing life with God. You've heard all those phrases. If you've been around church very long, um, you've probably heard those phrases so many times that they don't mean anything to you anymore. It's just something we say, something you see at the Bible bookstore, you know, you do life with God, you walk with God, we sing songs about walking with God. But few of us really know what it means, we all kind of have our own definitions. So over the next, between now and the end of the year, we're going to kind of dig into what it means to, to actually do life with the creator of the universe on a daily basis. But before we do that, I, I've, I've gone through this three-week series so that we can start to get to un understand that when we pray, when we talk to God, when we do life with God on a regular basis, that we actually have a, an agenda with God. 
And that we have this, this problem as humans, especially Americans. Americans are the worst in the world at this. This is part of our culture. And it's this manipulation that we do. And we grow up with this manipulation in our relationships, especially as Americans. It happens all over the world. But it's become a way of life in America where we leverage our relationships. Even those who we love the most, we even accidentally, because of the way we live our lives, we begin to leverage our relationships. And we, do, and we say things, and sometimes it's not that big a deal, but sometimes we just hint at things like, Oh, I'm so tired, and look at that big pile of dishes, hint, 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 you know? And, and the guy or the woman is supposed to go, oh, yeah, I'll do the dishes, you know? And you know at that moment. And no, that's just a little thing, and that's one of those husband-wife, friendship, relationship kinds of things that we do. But th- that gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and especially if people that you don't love or people you don't like, you use and you manipulate, and, you, and maybe somebody at work that's in a cubicle across from you that you kind of grit your teeth and smile and and say nice shirt today, you know, when you really don't like them, but you've got to use them. And we live like this. And so what we do is we bring that attitude about relationships. When somebody says that God wants to have a relationship with you, you think, okay, well, I know what a relationship looks like. It's, it's where I get to use my power over a person to get what I want. Now, you may not physically think that way about God. You may not just intentionally think that way about God. But what happens is, if, if, we don't, if we're not careful, we just drift into this relationship with God where we don't talk to God, where we don't have a relationship with Him, we don't really have a thing with God until it somehow benefits us. And then when we do talk to God or when we do want something, then it's very much like it, we talk to our wife. Boy, it'd sure be good to eat a sandwich while I was sitting here watching a game. It'd sure be good to have this. It'd sure be good to have that. Instead of just flat out asking, you know what, would you mind, or do you have, or would you, could, could you do, we do this thing, and, and my wife um, hates that in relationships. It's been one of the best things for me. She does not do that, and she does not tolerate me doing that <laughs> very well. And she'll just flat say, no, if, if you want me to do something, you ask me to do something. And, and so my kids, it's, it's part of nature, human nature, I think, because my kids are growing up, and they'll say, Mom... I sure wish we, could, I wish we could go to Target today and go to the dollar spot. And, and she doesn't tolerate it. She stops right there and says, hey, if you want to go to the dollar spot, you say, Mom, can we go to the dollar Can we go to Target today? But you don't use this manipulation. But you know what? We do this with God on a regular basis. And you need to know, <laughs> I can be manipulated. My wife, as much as she hates it, I can say something smart enough to and get around the corner, and I can manipulate her. My kids can manipulate me. We can manipulate each other, but let me tell you something. God will not, cannot be manipulated. You can't give him the silent treatment and get him to do what, he wants you, what you want him to do. You can't annoy him until he finally gives in to your will. It does not happen. And some of us don't know how to relate to anybody without those tools in our toolbox. So what we're going to do over the, between now and the end of the year is we're going to start to dig into how do we deal with this? And here's the thing I love about it. As we start to dig in with how we deal with God, it will realize this is the way we should do life with everyone. And that's the intent of the relationship with God, is to make us better humans in general. And so the problem is if we start to treat God like we treat everybody else, we're not getting better. And by the way, we're also not getting in closer to God. Now, the, many of us in this place are Christians. We have, have been given the promise of eternal life, and I can tell you about that. It is an amazing 
promise that God has given us. We haven't earned that. If you're, if you're kind of kicking the tires on this, trying to decide what it is, there isn't a list of things that we have to check off in order to get this from God. God basically says, no, you just, you believe and you get better every day and you accept it. All you do, it's like a gift. You accept it. You don't pay for it. You just accept it. And then you, you spend the rest of your life loving God because of it. And, and that's kind of what we do. But the problem is, a lot of us have accepted that gift and we get the benefit of eternal life someday. We get the benefit of being saved, but we're, we're not leveraging the benefits of being a Christian here on earth. We're not leveraging the benefits of, of having a relationship with God. So I hear a lot of Christians say things like, I, 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 the preacher talks about a peace, some kind of peace, and you'll say it that way, a peace that passes all understanding. And I've never heard it. I've never seen it. And so you begin to think it's not real, but the truth is it is real. It's just you aren't accessing it. You aren't leveraging the gift that God has given you. And that's part of what we want to do over the next month and a half. And here's the thing. I decided I, re, I, decided I wanted to do a prayer series um, back in January. I decided at the end of the year, through Christmas and Thanksgiving and all that, I want, I want, I want time of year, I'm going to do a prayer series. And I thought about this since January. And then as we got closer and closer and closer, I had these sermons. I'm so excited. And then I realized, no, I, I, I could totally mess this up if I don't preach a three-week series first that says, here's what, here's what a relationship with God isn't. It isn't you trying to get your way. It isn't you imposing your will on God. It isn't you trying to get God to cooperate with you. It's you understanding that you're not in charge. And if, you, if we can come to that, if we can start to grow in that, it will change your life. Maybe you felt like God in your life is inattentive. Like something awful is going on in your life, or maybe something good's going on in your life. Just, you just feel like God is not there. He's just inattentive. Or maybe you feel like he's uncooperative. <laughs> like, like you've, you've said the same thing that many of us say. Like, if God was really there, why am I, why am I going through this thing? And he, why won't he fix this thing for me? Or maybe you feel like God is late. Like he's just showing up late to the party. As soon as everybody, and that's what we're going to talk about today. The first week we talked about God being inattentive. The second week we talked about God being uncooperative. And today we're going to talk about what we do when it feels like God is just, is just late. Now, you know... How, how we all work in this way is that when we see something awful, whatever that is, we see it on the news, we see it in our lives, we begin to ask the question, why does, if God really loves us, if there really is a God, why doesn't God do something about that? Now you can fill in that with whatever it is. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to have you do this. I don't ever do this, but I, I want you to do this because I think it will be really good for everybody in the room today. If you have ever watched TV or you've ever done anything and you have walked with God very long, and you have ever asked the question, why doesn't God do something about that? Would you raise your hand? Yeah, just look around a little bit. And if you didn't raise your hand, it's because you're holding a baby or your coffee or something. Because we all ask this question. At some point in our life, we'll, if God really loves me, if God really loves us, if there really is somebody in charge, why doesn't he do something about that? And you need to know that while Jesus was on earth, this was an incredibly important question to him. He wanted to answer this question. He wanted people to understand why God doesn't do something about that, fill in that, whatever it is in your life. And so what I want to do this morning is I've, I've, I've spent the last three weeks telling three different, or two different stories. This week I'm going to tell the third story. And these are stories about people that are some of the best humans that ever walked on the face of the earth. This is, this is outside of Jesus. These are people that Jesus thought of as some of the people who have like, they've done it. They've done it right. And they've, they've gone 
all the way to what God wants from their life. And obviously they've messed up here and there. But God, Jesus at one point, we talked about John the Baptist the first week. This was a guy that Jesus said, there's never been another dude like this guy. I mean, he is one of the best ever. Yet, he didn't get his way with God. He got beheaded and his hand, head handed on a platter. It didn't end well for John. And the, the second story, um, we, we heard very much the same thing. It doesn't matter how much you do. God's going to have his will. And so the comfort that we can take in that is that, you know, I don't know if you grew up in a church where maybe you, maybe you did. You grew up in a church where you felt like the reason you weren't getting your way in life was because you didn't have enough faith. Maybe somebody told you that. Maybe somebody told you if you just had a little more faith, you'd get it. And maybe somebody told you that if you just give a little bit more money, <laughs> you'd get what you want. Maybe somebody told you if you'd get up and you'd have your quiet time and you'd journal every day. You get what you want. I love when I found out that Jesus never really journaled because it's not something we have to do. It's something some people do. But maybe, maybe somebody told you somewhere along the way that because you haven't, maybe somebody said, you know what, God's not going to bless you until you get that sin out of your life, that one thing, and that, then as soon as you get that thing out of your life, God's going to bless you. And you, we know there are consequences to sin, but the truth is we know over and over and over we can point to person after person after person in the Bible and throughout history that have lived better lives than any of us, and God, they still haven't got their way. Because it's, God is not going to be manipulated by your good works. He's not going to be manipulated by your journaling. <laughs> You're not going to convince him to change his plan because of something that you've done. And so in, in this story... This is, one, this is one of my three favorite stories in the Bible, and as I started preparing for it, I was going to break it up into little chunks and kind of tell it slowly, and I decided, no, this is kind of for me today. I'm, I get to tell this story. This is one of my favorite stories to tell, um, and so I'm going to tell a story today about one of Jesus' best friends on the earth. If you've heard this story, most of you have heard this story, the story about Lazarus. If you've heard this story today, here's what I want you to do. I, I don't know if you can do this or not. I want you to pretend like you haven't heard this, like you don't know the ending, and like you don't know where it's going, because I, I think the problem is there have been too many preachers, and I've been this way too, where I stand up and I microwave the story, like, you know, I do the Cliff Notes version, like you wanted in high school. You know, I don't want to have to read it. I just want somebody to tell me what the major points are, and we've missed some really important things. If you've never heard this story today, I think you're in an advantage. Because I, I want to tell it in a different way, and I want to pick apart some things in this story that I believe will allow us to understand how God intends for us to react when we, don't, when we feel like God is inattentive, uncooperative, or just flat late with what we want in our life. So there was a man named Lazarus who was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Now at this point in history, and you know if you've ever read the Bible or any, any literature from this point in history, nobody really talked about somebody as John Mitchell. It was John the guy who did this, or John the whatever, or John the whoever. And so at this point, there are Marys all over, the, all over the, the map in the Bible. So he has to be a little more clear, and this is just specific for his readers. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Now the people who were reading this at the time would have gone, oh yeah, that's awesome, because that story had just had gone like wildfire throughout the, the, really anybody who had heard the story of Jesus knew the story of this woman that one day was sitting with Jesus and eating and she had lived an awful life, and she was like one of the worst of the worst people. And, and if, if you're feeling like the worst of the worst today, your ears just perked up. She was one of the worst of the worst people, and she was sitting at a party with some of the people that think that they're the best of the best, you know? It's like, it's like the person that g goes into church and says, and, and we hear this all the time, well, the walls didn't fall down when I walked in. <laughs> 
somehow they believe that when they walk in, they're walking into a, a group of people that are actually good, and they're, they make good choices. But the truth is, we all kind of just mess up. And, we, and so it, it, she walks into this party, and she is so focused on Jesus and so wants to be close to God that she takes what is a, a, you know, a, 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 an incredible year's salary um, worth of perfume and pours it on Jesus' feet and puts it all over and takes her hair and washes her Jesus' feet with her hair. And it's this moment where she says, you're worth everything I have. And she kind of worships him in, a, in an incredible way. And the disciples say, man, if we could have just sold that perfume, we could have fed the poor and all those things. And Jesus kind of reprimands them. And that story goes out like wildfire. And so, and so the writer here, John says, this is the Mary we're talking about. The Mary that, that Jesus became really best friends with. Wasn't the, wasn't the, one of Jesus' best friends wasn't like the, the religious leader, the preacher. It was like this lady who had been a prostitute and had lived a really bad life, but just had an honest heart in the end. So these sisters, Mary and Martha, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, the one you love, they're referring to as their brother Lazarus. Can you imagine what that would be? Like, if, if, if Lazarus had a bumper sticker, like, to put on the back of his donkey or something at that point, it would just say, Jesus loves me. And it wouldn't be like this. It would be like, Jesus loves me. I am the one. Who is Lazarus? He's the one Jesus loves. Like, and the word love there is not like, Jesus loves me, this I know, so the Bible tells me so. It's like this deep brother love that Jesus has for Lazarus. So next slide there. Jesus gets this bad news that Lazarus is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, now remember, this is his best friend. This sickness will not end in death. Now Jesus, when he hears this, he is about a day and a half walk away, which is not very far um, at that point. A day and a half walk is nothing to these guys. Not Not very far, but he's about a day and a half walk from the place where Lazarus is. And on the other side of the place where Lazarus is, is a town where every time the disciples and Jesus get close to it, they get stoned. And not, not in the way that we get stoned. <laughs> not in the way it happens in our culture. But they get hit with rocks. And, they, and the, the problem with that is Jesus is supposed to be the one that gets stoned by these people. But if you're a disciple, sometimes they miss and they hit you. And so they're, they're constantly scared of this, this town. And, and that's going to be part of the story too. You'll see that in a second. So this sickness will not end in death, Jesus says. So this messenger comes and says, Jesus... Lazarus is sick, and Jesus says, yeah, it will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, I want to stop here for a minute, because this is one of those, and I'm hoping I'm creating this red flag for you um, around here, that if there is a word you don't understand, a word we don't use in English on a daily basis, and it pops up, don't just ignore it. Don't just say, well, that's church. Church is that, you know. Red flag. What is glory? We don't use that word in our, we don't say, you know what, Reese, London, we're going to spend the day glorifying your dad. (laughs) We don't do that, do we? So what is glory? Please don't read your Bible and pass over things like this. That's dangerous. Don't sing songs in worship that have things like glory. You know, Rick sings this, this song, uh, Rain on Us, and we sing, I don't know if you're, you're around when that happens, but Rick Finney kind of screams at one point, and he says, Rain on us, God, show us your glory. And we all get cold chills, and Rick yells it loud, but what is it? Uh, you need to know what that is, because this is life-changing. Some of you have heard this story so many times, and you have missed the life-changing point, because you've just kind of passed over the churchy words. But the idea of glory is, is, is actually not even, an, it's not even an English word. It's a word that we can't really even translate. The idea of glory is that God wants to leverage everything on earth 
to make himself known in a more powerful way than anything on earth is already. He wants to make himself known. And when you, when you see the word glory throughout any part of Scripture, when you see it in one of our worship songs, or we sing it, or we say it, what it means is, God, if, if we're going to glorify you, we, we want you to give a, a we want to make room for you to make yourself known in our lives and to all of our friends and to all this community. We want you to be set up on high and for everyone to say, that is God and we're not. Now, the idea of glory is all throughout the Bible. This is one of God's highest priorities in, in the world, is for him to raise himself up so people can see who he is. Not because he's this arrogant guy that wants to be worshipped, but because he knows when people get a glimpse of perspective of who God is compared to who they are, it will get them closer. It makes them desperate for God. And when you get desperate for God, you find yourself in a really good road. Because when you get desperate for God, you pursue God at all costs. And when you pursue God at all costs, you begin to do your life differently. And when you begin to do your life differently, you begin to walk with God on a daily basis and you get eternal life and you get life abundant here on earth. And it changes everything. So God's point with your life, whatever you're going through right now, one of God's major priorities for you in your life is that he would be glorified through whatever you're going on, whatever's going on in your life. You say, but doesn't he want me to be happy? It's on the list, but it's low. Doesn't he want me to have peace? Yes, and that's a promise in the midst of this. Doesn't he want me to have a car? Really, sometimes not at all. Doesn't he want me to have a bigger house? Maybe, but it's way low. Because what he wants is perspective for the whole world, and you included. This morning, Risha and I were going through McDonald's. She was getting an Egg McMuffin. No, I, we both did. Um, and uh, we do it every, every Sunday. I was, I was eating broccoli for breakfast, but no. Um, now, we, we went through McDonald's, and we're sitting there, and a, a car pulls through, and it's this beautiful car, and I had this moment where I thought, I don't really want that car anymore. Like, I, I used to, my heart used to hurt when a car like that would go by, and I'd go, someday, you know, that feeling, someday I'm going to own one of those. Someday it's going to be me sitting there. Someday it's going to be me owning that car, and it went by today, and you know what I thought? Well, I wouldn't want that guy's payment. <laughs> You know, I've been praying for financial freedom for 15 years. I've been praying that one day I'd wake up and there'd just be a check in my mailbox. I've been praying, and I work hard. I'm not saying I'm lazy. I'm not, I don't want to win the lottery. I want to work for my money. I work hard. All I want to do is get paid. All I want to do is for my clients to pay me on time. All I want to do is be able to pay the IRS. All I want to do is just get paid for what I'm doing. God, if you're really there... What, what is it? Why, why wouldn't I just, why just give me that? I have earned it, right? And then I sit in a McDonald's drive-thru and realize, man, I'm a lot better off had he given me that money. Because I realize I don't even want that. I don't need that. I know where that ends up. I don't even need that car now. Now, if I know God, it'll be a few years when all of a sudden I'll be able to afford it, you know, and I, I won't even want it anymore, and money will go somewhere else. Because that is what it looks like to glorify God. Your life just begins to go, you know what? There are more important things. So Jesus says, and I want to be clear about this, Jesus says, Lazarus is sick to give God glory. And the disciples do what they do often, they look around like each other like, what is he talking about? And John's going, I, I don't know, but take notes, because we'll, we'll need it later, you know? And so, check this out, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, it mentions it again. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, listen to this, he stayed where he was for two more days. 
Now, he stayed where he was, and it's a day and a half walk. Lazarus is sick. Now, you need to know what Jesus is doing. Maybe, you, maybe you're, just, you're new to the Jesus thing. You don't know what Jesus was doing. His whole life, Jesus' whole ministry, was walking around town to town to town, healing people who, he was, who were sick. Those people who were most sick were often the people he had never met before. He'd never seen them. He'd never met them. He didn't know them. He'd walk up to them, had no relationship with them. People, he would just go, okay, stand up. You're good. And what was your name again? Harry? All right, have a good life, Harry. Send no more, you know, and he'd walk off. And yet his best friend, he hears is sick. These people that he loves. And now here's what we do. We, we, we Sunday school this thing, and we, we flannel graph this thing, and, and we don't put this in our terms. Think about Lazarus laying in a bed that doesn't look like your bed. Think about Mary and Martha holding his hands, <laughs> wiping the sweat off his brow, no idea what's wrong with him, and saying this, Jesus is on his way. We sent word for Jesus. Jesus is on his way. And Lazarus closes his eyes and nods his head with the peace that Jesus is on the way. And Mary and Martha pray, Jesus, get here quicker. Why hasn't Jesus been here? The messenger goes and gives Jesus the word and then comes back and says, I gave Jesus the word and they all wait. Where's Jesus? One day passes. No Jesus. That's okay. He'll be here tomorrow. Lazarus is getting worse and worse and worse. Sweat is getting worse. Fever is getting worse. They don't know what's wrong. They're holding his hand. Where's Jesus? Two days in. Where's Jesus? And Jesus says this. Let's just wait. So when he, he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Hey guys, let's go back to Judea. Now, Judea is on the other side of where Lazarus lives. So they know what Jesus means. They mean, we're, we're going to Judea, and we're going to stop by, and we're going to see Lazarus on the way. And the disciples are, have kind of had it with Jesus. Hey, this is your, this is your best friend, and you're just going to sit here, and now you're talking about Judea instead of Lazarus? And by the way, Judea is where we got stoned last time. We got stoned. We got rocks. In fact, I still got a bruise from that. And I got hit in the head, and, and Tom over there, Tom got, Tom got so messed up that day, we, didn't, we had to carry him home. And, and, and Jesus, you want us to go back there? And by the way, what about Lazarus? But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. And that, by that they mean, and they missed and they stoned us. And yet, you're going back there? And Jesus answered. This is the kind of, Jesus was crazy sometimes. Look what he says. Are, are there not 12 hours of daylight? The disciples go, what? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It's, a, it's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. The disciples go, write that down, but what? And Jesus was talking about opportunity. He's saying, I'm only here for a short amount of time, and when I'm here, the light is gone. When I leave, the light is gone, and I won't be here for much longer. So you stay with me. You learn. This is going to be an opportunity for you to learn. Don't just sit back and hope bad things don't happen to you. Look at this. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Now, this is interesting. Next slide. He says this, his disciples reply, Lord, if he's asleep, they're giving Jesus medical advice right here. You know, you know how we do that with God? God, here's what we need. We need you to give this to the doctor so that he comes back with this. He's, they're giving Jesus medical advice. Jesus, if he's just asleep, then he'll get better, right? We don't even need to go. 
And Jesus has been speaking of death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So verse 14, so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, this is like one of the most insensitive things you'll ever hear anyone say when someone dies. I mean, let's just be honest about it. What Jesus is about to say is one of the most insensitive things you'll ever hear around a friend's death. He says this to his disciples. Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. So that. This is a purpose statement. This is the, guys, if you listen for a minute, you can understand the so that in the midst of the things that we don't get. You don't have to understand why God does what he does, but you can see right here the big picture. Jesus says, I'm glad it happened. Man, you gotta, you got to hear a pin drop in that space. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe so that you may believe now wait a minute jesus you're saying you're not saying this is just a bad thing that happened and somehow god allowed it to happen you're saying you knew lazarus was going to die yes you knew you could do something about lazarus death yes and you're saying it was worth it all of that you're set all this up jesus all of that was worth it so that we could believe a little bit more yeah. Yeah, it's worth it. So then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, you have friends and family like this. In fact, you may be sitting next to one right now. Um, uh, you, you remember Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh? Well, it's a blustery day. Always look at the negative side of things. If you've got a spouse or if you've got three kids, one of them is like this. It's that... Um, and, um, and, uh. Thomas was Eeyore of the disciples. And look what he says. This is hilarious. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. <laughs> All right, Jesus. It, this is Thomas trying to be manipulative. Trying to be that sarcastic manipulative. All right, then we'll just all die. Reese does this sometimes. Well, if I have to go to bed an hour, I'm just going to bed right now. And you know what I say? Good night. <laughs> Next slide. So all this happens, and Jesus meanders back to Bethany, where Lazarus is. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four stinking days. And I mean stinking. So Martha, Martha runs out. Now, that four days is so important. This is the kind of thing we don't see in the, in the language very often, but that four days is so important. In this culture, at this point in time, what they believed is that your body would die, and when your body died, there would be about a, a four-day period where your spirit would hover over your body. And the reason they believed this is because they didn't understand medicine. And by the way, we don't either. We know it better than they did a little bit, but we don't totally get it. But at this point, what would happen is somebody might go into a coma. It happened over and over. And you know what a coma is now, but they didn't know what a coma was. They thought the person was dead. And then after a couple days, they would wake up out of their coma. And after a couple days, they would, they would celebrate the fact that the Spirit came back to these people and they would raise up. But something happens to your body, and it happens to my body. It happens to every, everyone's body. It's a consistent part of a human body, and it's called rigor mortis. 
And it's when you die, when, you're, when you actually, when your heart stops beating, your body starts to do the same thing. Everybody's body does the, about the same thing. In fact, forensic scientists use it to tell how, use rigor mortis to tell how long it's been since a body was killed or since somebody was dead. And so what would happen is they noticed that the face muscles in someone's body after four days would start to kind of do something strange. And that's when they believed, after four days, that's when they believed the Spirit had left. So Jesus, this is all huge. It was like this superstitious thing that the Spirit's still around. Jesus didn't wait one day. He didn't, he didn't heal Lazarus while he was there, while he was sick. He didn't wait one day, because that would have been pretty cool. But they left his body sitting out. He didn't wait two days. He didn't wait three days. He waited the superstitious four days until he got to Lazarus. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. So what you would do at this point in history is you would give it some time, and when the body was absolutely dead, you would wrap it up, you would put it in, in, a, in a, like a big cave and roll a stone over it, which you hear later in the story of Jesus, you know that, and, and then you would, you would put cloths over them, sprinkle them with some perfume and make the smell better, and then you would begin the mourning process, and you would just mourn as a family, and all your friends and family would come in. It was kind of like our, our, our funeral with the dinner afterwards, and the, everybody comes in and tells stories, and that's what happens, and sometimes even for weeks. And so the Jews were coming in from Jerusalem, and many had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss, except Jesus was just now getting to the party late. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Why would Mary stay home? She's mad. Wouldn't you be? Haven't you been? Jesus, I prayed for this, I prayed for this, I prayed for this, I prayed for this. And you're late, or it didn't happen. Hey, boys, can you guys, can you guys stay in the back or sit down, please? Thank you. Thank you. So Martha comes out, but Mary... She can't do it this time. No, Jesus. So Martha comes out, and when she meets him, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Next slide. Jesus said to her, probably with a hand on her shoulder, your brother will rise again. Now, look what she does. She says, I, I know, I know, I know, I know, Jesus. I can hear almost a sarcastic tone. I know. He'll rise on the resurrection day. You know, this is what we do. We go to the funeral and we say, he's in a better place, don't we? Because we just want to say something right. Mary, Martha thought that's what Jesus was doing. Martha, he's in a better place. But that's not what Jesus was doing. Jesus said to her, she said, I, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, and he says to you, right now. I am the resurrection and the life. I am. What an arrogant thing for someone to say in the midst of the death of their, of their brother. You want resurrection? You want life? I am the resurrection and the life. If you're not God, that is arrogant. And in that moment, Martha began to change her attitude. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha says, yes, 
I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. Next slide. I want you to hang with me. I know this is a long story. Jesus said to her, oh, next slide. Sorry, Tanya. Jesus saw her weeping. This is, the, this is one of the best parts of this whole story, so stay with me for a second. Jesus began to see them weeping, and she saw, he saw Mary and Martha weeping, and he saw the Jews who had come from Jerusalem weeping. And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. And he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. The word there is one of my favorite Greek words. The word is splach, nah. That's the way you say it, and you have to spit kind of. Splach, nah. It's a funny word, isn't it? And in English, we don't really have a word like it. And what, what, what the English translation is, is he was troubled in his spirit. But you know what splachna means? It means that inside him, his stomach was turning. He was probably throwing up. He had that nauseated feeling. He had snot coming out of his nose. He was crying so much. This is not he was troubled a little bit, and the tear came down his eyes. This is Jesus was that, that ugly cry right now. Is that kind of a situation for Jesus. And Jesus said, he, are, he knew the answer to this, but he said, where have you laid him? Where is he? Come and see, they replied. And then verse 35, this is what I used to do when I get a little piece of candy in Sunday school for saying a ver- memory verse. I would use verse 35, John eleven thirty-five. Jesus wept. <laughs> candy, please. That was my loophole. Jesus wept. And the word wept is not just that tear down the eye. This is that ugly cry, that snotty, awful just uncontrolled cry. And then the Jews said, see how he loved them? Now here's the thing at this point. If you do know the end of this story, you know that Jesus knows what's going to happen next. Jesus is not crying because Lazarus is dead. Do you get that here? Jesus is not a mess because Lazarus is dead. He's a mess because Mary and Martha are a mess. He's a mess because everyone around them are a mess. You know what? Here's the thing today. If you're a mess, if your life is a mess, if you're dealing with that splachna problem, if you've got an issue so deep in your life that it's causing nausea and and anxiety and tears and that ugly cry, you need to know that Jesus knows what's happening next and he still weeps with you. Not because of your circumstances, but because of the pain that he chooses to go through with you. So here's what Jesus says in this moment to these people. He says, I know. I know. Then the Jews said, see how, they lo- see how he loved him? But some of them said, could, at this point, same thing we say, why didn't he do something? Couldn't he have opened the eyes of the blind man, have kept this man from dying? He does it for everybody else. Why not his best friend if he loves him enough to splachna? Why didn't he save him? Look what Jesus says. Next slide. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across its entrance. Would you just, even if you have to close your eyes, just picture this for a second. Take it out of Disney World, take it out of Sunday School Land, and put this into life. Came into the tomb, and with the, it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, Jesus said. <laughs> but Lord, said, to, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, and I think this is a twist of the knife for Jesus. Because he's been here four days. I think that's what Martha said to Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, he stinks now. Because he's been here four days. If you'd have come here early, maybe he'd smell a little better. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? You'll see something happen that you can attribute to God, and everybody's faith will be raised up a level? 
Now, what he didn't say here is, did I not tell you that you'll get exactly what you want if you pray and you believe? No, what he says is you'll see something. You'll get a glimpse of something that's bigger than you, something that gives you perspective on your life and peace for what is to come. He says this, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone and Jesus looked up and said, this is one of those prayers. I've done this with my kids before. Jesus did this with the disciples all the time and he did this with everybody that was around. He walks up close um, up in front of these disciples and he, he prays to, to God. Now Jesus prayed to God a lot and most of the time he prayed to God, he didn't raise his hands and, and kind of make a big show of it. This time he made a big show of it because he wanted the disciples to hear him, what he was getting ready to say. Here's what he says. Then Jesus says, um, so they took away the stone. He, Jesus says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. <laughs> so guys, all of you around here who are hurting right now, God always hears you. I do this with my kids all the time. God, I, I know that London's having a hard day, but we know that you hear her even when she's having a hard day. I'm giving her a message. Jesus is preaching as he's talking to God here. He said, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Next slide. It gets better. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice. Lazarus. Now something happened right then. The, the phrase here, the word here, you see the exclamation point after out there? That's a, a denotion in the, the language that says that his voice got louder, but also there was an air. There was a different air. So Jesus was crying and he was sobbing and he was slobbering and it, he was like everyone else until this moment. And he said, Lazarus. And the earth shook a little bit. And a cold chill came down the arms of the people who stood there. Come out. Lazarus, come out. Standing around, Mary and Martha are going, what is this? Stone rolls away. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloths around his face. Jesus said to them, so everybody just stands, dumbfounded, wouldn't you? And guess what? Nobody ran towards the dead guy to take all of his clothes off and get him, get him right. Nobody went to hug him. Nobody, Because they're scared. You don't see this. It's night of the living dead right in front of them. And Jesus has to say to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Guys, go get him. Now, this story, I mean, 2,000 years ago, and we're still telling the story, this story went like wildfire. Completely like wildfire. Crazy how many people told this story. One of the only resurrections ever recorded like this. An incredible thing that has happened. And we're still telling this story. Check out this next slide. When God doesn't do something about that, here's what you can know. That even in the midst of you praying, and maybe it's not changing, that He hears, He knows, and He weeps you should know that he can. Can you imagine anybody who was around there, that Lazarus um, and, and his resurrection that day? Can you imagine like three, four weeks later, a month later, you're sitting with your husband and you're, you're around the dinner table and he says, man, the, the gutters are falling off the house. We don't have any money. We got to get this fixed. And she says, well, God will take care of us. Do you think he went like God can ever take care of me? After he saw a man raised from a dead that smelled like four days of death, See, at that point, Jesus gave them a gift of belief. 
He gave them this gift that keeps this whole community going until 2,000 years from then. I sit today and give you energy with this. This is the glory of God. This is what you want from your story. In the long run, whatever you got going on today, whatever is going on, whatever heartbreak, whatever frustration, and I'm not making light of this today. Some of this stuff is absolutely heartbreaking that you've got going on today. But you need to know what you want and what God wants can sometimes be different things. And in the long run, you want God's thing. So if you can, at all costs, if you can find yourself in a perspective where you can say, God, give me this thing, but if I don't get it, I trust you. You can know that sometimes God waits and that, that you can trust Him in the meantime. Okay, I know I'm going a long time. Next slide. When God is inattentive, this gets me through this three-week series, when God is inattentive, look outside of your circumstances. When you feel like God is not there, you need to look outside. This is what I told a couple uh, during the first week. I said, hey, those of you who have never been outside of Indiana... <laughs> Those of you who have never seen how people who really are poor live, come see me afterwards. We're going to do a mission trip here at this church. And I know if you don't have any money, that's going to be really hard. We're going to have to figure it out. It's called sacrifice, and you're going to have to take your vacation somewhere other than Panama City one, one year. And we're going to take it because there can be nothing better sometimes for you to know what goes on on the other side of the world and how other people live. Sometimes you just need to look outside your own circumstances. Sometimes when God seems uncooperative, lean on His sustaining grace. It's the promise that he's given us, even when he, we don't get what we want. And when God is late, keep believing, trusting that he has your best interest at heart. And remember Lazarus. Remember Lazarus. Remember that that's the kind of power God has. And you want what's in your best interest in the long run. Band, you guys can come up. Today, I want to give you whatever you got going on in your life right now, whatever you're going to pray for, I want you to know that God already knows. That God can. Sometimes God waits, but He can always be trusted in the meantime. And I want to, I want to let you know an opportunity you have right now, whatever you're going through in your life. And I, I'm going to name some of those things because sometimes that makes it even better for us. Some of you grandmas in this place, are on your second or third set of raising kids. It's just life. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have chose it, but now you wouldn't change it. Did you know that if you choose to allow God to be glorified through your situation, that you aren't promised that everything's going to be great, that you're, you're going to have a big car, or you're going to have a nice house, that you're going to have lots of vacations, but here's what you're promised. You're promised that if you keep believing, you keep pushing ahead, that you will have a peace that passes our understanding that is a different perspective on life. Those of you today who are single because of a situation that you don't have anything, any control of, or maybe you did do something, and you find yourself in a place you would have never chosen today, did you know that you could have the kind of life that could give God glory? And now you know what that means. You could have the kind of life where people look at it and go, there must be a God and He must be big because there's no way that person could get through that thing without something bigger in their life. That's called glory. And let me tell you, it's better than whatever it is you think you want to pray for. If it doesn't end up in that, you don't want it anyway because being a part of the big plan of God will change who you are for the better. So, 
When we, what, what I'd like for you to do today, and this is just between you and God, but I'd like for you to make a commitment. We're going to be doing this for the, between now and the end of the year. And I know that the culture here in Paragon and especially at New Life is that we come to church if there's, you know, there's not a lot of things better to do, we'll, we'll go to church. Or if things are really bad, we'll come to church. And you know what? I don't, I'm not here to make you feel guilty about that. Truth is, what God wants from you is a whole, so much more than church. But here's what I'm going to ask for you to do. Just between now and the end of the year, would you commit to being here? You get up, even if you got a little cold, you go to work with a cold, come to church with a cold. You... You get up and you get here. You get your kids here. You get your wife here. You get your husband here. You get your behind in the seat. Because what God wants to say between now and the end of the year is not something that's just going to give you a cold chill. See, what I told you today is not very emotionally gratifying. You don't leave here going, wow, it's awesome. If I just do this, if I add this plus this, then I'll get this. Because that's not the way God works. But if you stick with me, and you commit the way I'm committing. I'm going to study the snot out of this thing between now and the end of the year. And I want to deliver some things to help us move closer to God on a daily basis and understand not how to use God to get what you want. If you're doing that today, you're fighting upstream and it's not going to end well for you. Not to use God to get what you want, but to get in line with God. To live in a place of peace. That's what we're going to do between now and the end of the year. And part of the reason I do this around Christmas is because we get so invaded at Christmas with outside things, we forget that the message of Christmas is peace. The Prince of Peace showed up here. And if you don't have that peace today, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, dedicate the next, between now and the end of the year, to finding it, to finding out what it means to have peace that passes all understanding. I love you guys so much. I love you too much to to not tell you the truth about the way God wants you to live your life. So today, would you make that commitment to God? God, I want to clear my life. I want to be ready for this. I want to study this. I want to be back here. I want to commit to understanding what it is you want from my life. And God, and then just say this to God this morning. I believe, I believe that you have what's in my best interest. I'm going to do something I don't normally do. I'm going to pray for you right where you sit today. I'm going to go back to that corner, but I want to pray for you where you sit today. And then when we sing this song, I'm I'm just going to ask you to say that to God. God, I believe, and I trust you. God, I I thank you for my friends today. I thank you for the way that you love us, for the way that you share truth with with us. God, would you allow our hearts and our minds to be in this moment so open to whatever it is that you have, that it truly does give us a different perspective on our wants. It gives us a different perspective on the things that we think we need in our lives, our health, our money, our people, our relationships, our stuff. God, all of that right here, right now, in this room, we hold so loosely that you can move it in the order that you want it to be. Would you shape us? Would you make it so real in our lives that we can't mistake it? God, would you glorify yourself? Would you put yourself up so high in this community, because of the way that we live our lives? Would you use our circumstances? Would you use our messes? All of that stuff to make yourself known around us so that more can be drawn to you and can be drawn to peace. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.